But we can change that. We can change that with something pretty simple. You do not need an app for this. You do not need a credit card. You do not need an 800 number. What you need is a conversation. A conversation. 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 The conversation. An exchange between great minds. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of The Conversation. Today, we resume our conversation with different and various student-led organizations. Without further ado, let's get right into it. So, hi, hi everybody. Today, we're with um, Guardian on the Go. I believe they make um, uh, masks, uh, you know, to help out with the coronavirus uh, epidemic. And so, but, you know, anyway, uh, can you guys just give a brief explanation of your initiative, um, kind of what you're doing, what's it, what's it all about? Yes, so Guardian on the Go was started to try to provide an alternative to the medical grade masks that were being um, consumed rapidly by the public instead of going towards the medical community during the coronavirus pandemic. So we wanted to create a sustainable option that the public could use in accordance with CDC regulations in order to flatten the curve and reduce the transmission of the coronavirus. So we took recycled scrubs that were donated to us, sewed them, and then um, sold them to the public. And we donate 100% of the proceeds to different initiatives to help mitigate the adverse effects of the pandemic. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So uh, it, it's, it's pretty cool because I, I was, I was going to ask you a question on environmental impact, but you know, it, it seems that you guys are kind of like uh, dealing with that, especially because I think, I think a lot of the masks are supposed to be, um, you know, the surgical masks uh, aren't great for the environment. Uh, they can be pollutants in the long term. And so it seems that you guys are kind of, you know, uh, trying your best to, you know, mitigate that, you know, pollution and uh, try, try your best to helping the environment. So that, that's awesome. I love that. Um, yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, um, you know, as a you know, person kind of involved in different communities, right, uh, we've been talking with a bunch of different in- initiatives. Um, so how have you really been able to distinguish yourself from other, say, uh, initiatives that plan to, uh, you know, hand out masks and, you um, uh, yeah, you know, make masks, hand out masks um, uh, amid the, the crisis, of course. Yeah, so I think one thing that distinguishes um, Guardian on the Go from other projects is that we are really trying to use the community's resources from a bare minimum in order to make the most impact possible. So we use recycled materials. We don't spend our own, or we spend a minimum amount of money on materials in order to increase the amount of profits that we're able to donate to these other initiatives. We have volunteers from all over the country helping out, um, people from all over the world contributing to the project as well, which I think is really inspiring that everyone's been able to work together cohesively enough to do positive things. And um, we also have like a community area on the website where people can write articles to explain different facets to how the Guardian on the Go movement can improve things with the coronavirus and what we can all be doing as a society in order to move forward in a better light. Sure. So, so like, what is an example, for example, one of those um, uh, kind of ideas or ideas that you've been, uh, you know, uh, that, you know, have appeared on your blog and you're like, oh, you know, maybe we should implement this or that. Um, any yeah. ideas there? Um, like the importance of community and the importance of teamwork and um, the importance of trying to find the positives out of the tragedy of this situation and all of the 
negative situations that we might find ourselves in in life. Like how can we move forward in the most effective and beneficial way possible? Yeah, awesome. So, you know, you know, finally, uh, I guess, do you guys say envision a continuation of your projects uh, when the coronavirus crisis, you know, abates, you know, ends? Um, maybe, uh, yeah, you know, do you think you guys are going to continue handing out masks or, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the idea? Yeah, so I think we can all definitely recognize that there are some significant changes that are going to happen around the world, even as the pandemic comes to um, slow down. But I think one of those things will be definitely increased paranoia with people around different viruses. And I know that the school system, especially where I live, is going to require people to, you know, keep social distancing, keep physical distancing, perhaps wear masks in school. So I've reached out to different people in the community that I live in to see if I can contribute masks for people that don't have the means to buy them. Um, with all of the um, Black Lives Matter things going on in the U.S. right now, I've reached out to the local NAACP chapter to see if I can give masks to protesters that need them. Um, but just huh. trying to use what we have to do the most good and fight the most fights that we can without losing track of what's going on. Yeah, I like that idea of kind of, you know, incorporating this, um, you know, uh, I guess, the you know, the health aspect of it, right? trying to, um, you know, not transmitting the disease, of course, but it's also kind of cool how you guys, you know, it seems that you guys are trying to, uh, uh, you know, use or kind of, um, you know, help out the Black Lives Matter uh, and social movements, um, you know, the, of, of our time right now. So, yeah, yeah awesome. All right. Well, thank you. And yeah. Thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, it was, yeah, a pleasure talking to you. So I'm here with uh, Chloe, who started Sustainable Art NY. Hello, thanks for agreeing to do this. Um, could you start off by talking a bit about your initiative? Yeah, so Sustainable Start is basically an organization that's student-run. It's mostly run by high schoolers from New York, but we do have students from Florida and Colorado and all over the country. Um, and what we do is we've made partnerships with a bunch of other organizations and charities and companies um, in addition to donations that we receive to make these hygiene kits for New Yorkers experiencing homelessness. Um, so they include hand sanitizer, a mask, toothbrush, toothpaste, um, like a toothbrush cover so they can keep their toothbrush sanitary, um, socks, pads and tampons for half of the kits which we give to women's shelters. Um, deodorant, wet wipes, and a homeless resource guide which provides like directions to food pantries or other resources that people experiencing homelessness can take advantage of um, in Manhattan. And yeah, I think that's everything that we include. But we've partnered also with a bunch of shelters around New York City and Brooklyn and Manhattan to have them distribute these kits because we can't be doing it ourselves because of social distancing guidelines. Um, so yeah. And uh, so you're talking about helping the homeless and what are some of the solutions that could be put in place in our society to help cope with the increase of homelessness? Um, so yeah, we've been, we're obviously not able to help on a larger scale than giving people um, like hygiene items that they need. Uh, like obviously there are organizations who are providing housing for other people 
Um, but I think our solution is one of the more necessary solutions for especially this increasing demand um, for, I guess not demand, but this increase in homelessness that our city is definitely going to be seeing, especially because New York has been hit especially hard. Um, because just having the smaller necessities, like just being able to keep yourself clean, helps people feel better about themselves, help, helps people um, have better relationships socially with other people, and it lets people get back on their feet. Obviously, the people who are going to be newly homeless in the city aren't going to be at the same level of homelessness as somebody who might not be able to afford the kits that we are giving them because they're free, but obviously the products in them cost about like $50. Um, and a lot of the people who are going to be homeless or who have recently become homeless are not likely going to be street homeless. They'll probably be able to find a place in shelters, but the reason why people are street homeless, which is um, the main, I guess, the main group of people who can really take advantage of our kids, um, are the people who have been like abused in shelters, don't find them safe. That's why they've left. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what will happen. Like a lot of other people are not entirely sure what will happen in terms of how many people are going to choose to live on the streets versus living in shelters for the new group of people that we will see enter the shelters. Um, but for the people who do live on the street, it will help them a lot in trying to get back on their feet because right now especially, um, there's a huge concern around, uh, around health and being close to people and talking to people. Like People are not likely to talk to a stranger right now. Um, especially if they don't look like they're sanitary. So this will definitely help people get back on their feet in that sense. So with the current virus at hand and over one in four Americans who have filled for unemployment since March, how do you plan to be able to continue with the increased capacity? I'm sorry, how will you be able to continue and increase your capacity and ultimately meet the demand? Um, so I genuinely don't think that our organization will be able to um, constantly, because I guess when you say meeting the demand, in my mind, that would mean being able to provide a kit to every person experiencing homelessness on a regular basis, because obviously the products will run out. I don't think that we will be able to get there soon, for sure. But um, in terms of how we've been able to increase our I guess, production of kits. Since we've been able to get our name out there a bit more because we have a lot of members in different schools who are reaching out to their friends and family and it's it's like getting through to other people. Now they know more about us. So we've been uh, receiving more donors. Um, additionally, myself and some of the other team leaders, um, sorry, somebody just tried to call me. Uh, um, myself and one of the other team leaders have been entering a bunch of uh, like pitching competitions, entrepreneurship competitions. So through that, we've been able to ask the judges for connections to other companies who um, might be able to help us. Like, I don't know, like there's some person who was actually a judge who owns like one of the biggest distilleries or distillery networks in the world. Um, so we're talking in a partnership with them for the hand sanitizer. So it's basically just about reaching out to the companies who 
haven't really been making that much of an impact in the community lately or if they have they're looking to take the next step um so that way they can help us because the more companies that we're able to partner with the fewer dollars it takes to fund a kit which means that we can make more ourselves with their help um and also after the concerns of covid are over um we've been trying out a new uh i guess sponsorship option for companies to they can donate $2000 and we set up this event with them so they'll be able to package 500 kits with about 20 or so of their teammates um and then yeah they get to package them together it's a great team building experience and then some of them will be able to hand out the kits with us um and this has actually been a pretty like a bunch of other companies have expressed interest in this because it's a team building thing that will definitely be necessary going forward um especially after all of the hardship that our city has faced and even the country because a lot of companies are not just centered in New York City um but yeah it's just because everything is going on right now companies have seen that they need to be making an impact in the community so we've been providing ways for them to do that oh that's really good the idea of team building and giving back to the community is something that i haven't seen so much around and it's really interesting that you're providing that option for companies thank you for agreeing for this interview So I'm here with uh, J'ai besoin de uh, an organization another organization and um, could you start by saying your name and giving us a brief explanation of your initiative Yes hello thank you for inviting me uh, so my name is uh, Yulali and I'm the co-founder co of uh, this organization which is called J'ai besoin de which is an organization that uh, we kind of like spontaneously created with the beginning of the lockdown in Paris um the idea was first to help people who would be maybe isolated uh maybe ill maybe too old to go out without that all this lockdown situation would create some um difficulties for some people to uh, go out and be able to buy their emergency supplies so we thought that we needed to find a way to connect people on a lo local scale and then uh it just got bigger and bigger and we ended up actually cooking with the whole network of restaurants in Paris for um for a destitutes and also for the hospitals actually so we we had meals for the the hospitals yes oh, uh, so in total we 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 distributed i think between 30 and 35,000 meals during the two months of lockdown wow that's a lot of big numbers and um, yeah. so did has there been any challenges to galvanize the people you are trying to target and get those restaurants you talked about to work with you not at all because everything uh as said was super organic actually we didn't aim for cooking for hospitals with the restaurants sorry um we we aimed um in the first place in helping actually like individual people and not the The, the medical staff actually but uh we received a phone call from a friend working at the hospital saying that they were lacking medical equipment but they were also lacking food because hospital restaurants were closed or they were like poorly provided and also there were like 
COVID areas that were built up in the hospital. So there was a new old functionment and this was also a dysfunction. So, but anyways, this dysfunction were there before and they were, how can I say, um, made bigger by this crisis at some point. And so, so what happened was super, actually natural. It was from mouth to ear, actually. It started with one restaurant and then two and then three and then uh, people coming in to help and like drivers, people with bikes, people who could go in the kitchen and work. Only professional kitchen, but yeah, that's it. And I, I read about the restaurant in Paris starting to reopen and the terrace starting to reopen as well. And are those restaurants still agreeing to help you distribute meals or is there now a shift? So the major issue we faced is that it all started too because when the lockdown down, uh, was set up and when actually um, the restaurants and the bar closed, there were a lot of uh, raw material actually that were in the fridges and that were that we could reuse. We got a lot of donations that we could reuse uh, actually to cook uh, and uh, and distribute the meals. After that, we had. Um, some organizations that are specialized on working on this food waste issue so they would bring us some stuff after this there was the there was so we have this big market nearby Paris which is called Rangis which is basically the place where uh, all restaurants and all markets in Paris um, uh, take their supplies actually uh, it got close to, so we got a lot of things that were there that were unsold and just like that wouldn't be sold, sold actually. So after all this, we need to, need to find a way to find raw material actually to transform the food and, and, and do the meals. So it was super intense and everybody uh, actually worked a lot on every scale. The restaurants, they, they it was a lot of energy, but I also... Uh, gave us some stuff they already had so everybody gave a lot and we worked uh, uh, a lot during these two months so on the 11th of may we uh, as the whole group decided to slow down this uh, food activity towards the hospital because this was like uh, two times a day uh, at least 500 meals you know uh, but this is something as public hospital in france is a state service it should be insured by state so we as citizens couldn't in a long term uh, assume this job because it's not our job to do actually but uh, what we want to do is to keep it actually um, maybe once a week uh, we also have other solidarity activities and the idea is to keep this idea of food and cooking as a social bond and create actually more uh, social uh, diversity, social mixity, and to create, so to, to pursue our work around this, but in a new way and less into uh, this kind of emergency response to uh, dysfunctionment. Um, dysfunction, sorry. Yes. Oh, I don't know okay. if I'm clear enough. I'm sorry. No, no. Someday yeah, so, I'm a bit, yeah. No worries. So it's pretty much you started by giving out meals and now you wanted to become more of a something to bring people together around the, yeah, the yeah, organization. Exactly. So we kind of teamed up with other organizations in Paris, uh, such as La Base, for example, who has this big local 
nearby uh, the center of Paris, Place de la République, which is kind of a gathering point uh, right now. And so with them on Saturdays, we do this kind of, it's not really a room, it's more of like a distribution. So we bring food packages where we try to put also uh, hygiene products. Uh, we bring up uh, clothes, we bring up, uh, bring up uh, food for uh, the homeless and the destitute that can come uh, and just help themselves with what they need and during the week. We invite people to come and to give away their clothes, food if they have some, to buy some hygiene products. Uh, this sanitary crisis is uh, going and it's already actually turning into an economic crisis actually. So um, we are trying to think about that and how we can bring uh, some, and it's not provide solution because at some point It's more than this, uh, social issues are more than only giving to the poor, you know. It's, it's, I see it more as a circle than as something, you know, vertical. Um, into the more English-American um, sense of uh, dealing with that, we talk a lot about charity. In France, we have this word which is solidarity that exists also in English, but it's less used maybe. And solidarity is more about something horizontal, actually and charity more about something vertical that goes from the rich to the poor, let's say. And we try to build up chains, actually, where everybody can get involved. And even if you are the one who, who needs something, maybe you can provide something else, you know? So it's all about the circle and the bond, yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's a good way of describing it and something that will interest people and which I had never heard about. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, that's no problem. Yeah. Thank you for doing this interview and thank you for doing what you do. Yes, for sure. You're welcome. So, hi, hi guys. I'm with um, the Social Distance Distance Club today. And um, let's get right into it. So, um, can you first give us an explanation of your initiative? Like, uh, generalized... So Yeah, the purpose of my initiative is to make a cool product that someone can purchase that will also benefit a great cause. And in that case, the cause um, would, the proceeds are going to Southampton Hospital, which is a local hospital where I live. And the whole point is to emphasize the importance of social distancing during a very serious time in everyone's lives. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, you said you um, chose the Southampton uh, Hospital to donate your funds. Uh, you know your, yes, your, uh, uh, you know your your funds, right? Uh, what you made on the sweaters. Uh, so, like, why did you choose Southampton Hospital as a charity instead of, say, another charity? Um, why was it necessarily dedicated to? Uh, maybe did involve kind of, uh, you know, you wanted to choose something related to medicine. You know, help our. Uh, frontline workers, I guess, right? Yeah, so the reason why I chose Southampton Hospital is because I wanted to make a difference within my local community. And, you know, I could have done something that's more on a global scale, but I knew that the difference that needed to be made was a little bit more immediate and close to home. And I thought I'd be able to make a bigger difference if I focused on something that was more local. Nice, awesome. Um, so how did you come up with the idea of selling fun merchandise around, uh, you know, a serious global topic, you know, like helping others amid um, trying times? 
Yeah, so I've always loved sweatshirts and I've always wanted to make my own designs. I've always worn sweatshirts from like Mad Happy and similar brands as to that. And I go to boarding school, which makes it very difficult for me to run a business because I don't live at home. But when I was sent home due to COVID-19 in March, I decided to do something productive with my time. And I thought what would be better than to, you know, do something I enjoy, which is designing sweatshirts and, you know, trying to do something fun that, you know, my peers could wear. And it kind of brought us all together by having these sweatshirts, which is the reason why I chose to do um, sweatshirts. Hmm. So as of, uh, you know, June 5th today, uh, how have you guys been doing with, you know, sales and, you know, where can people really find out about your project? So at the moment, you can find out about our project on our Instagram, uh, which is Social Distance Distance Club. And our sales have been doing very well. We sold out of every single product every time we've done a release, um, which is great because that means I end up being able to help a local organization even more. And today we're going to be launching two new products and we're currently working on our website which is almost done which will be exciting so you'll be able to purchase um sweatshirts from our website and yeah i think also trying to figure out how we're going to be able to continue making sweatshirts even when the pandemic is past even though we're in the midst of it right now i would still want to continue making sweatshirts for a cause even when you know, we're no longer in the time of coronavirus, which is something I'm thinking a lot about right now. Right. Uh, nice. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's a bit of a short interview, but I think I think we got a lot. Um, you know, we learned a lot about your initiative, and yeah, g- great fun talking to you. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much. Hi, hi everybody. I'm with um, Co Education today, and uh, yeah, let's let's hear about their initiative. So. Uh, can you guys tell us, you know, in a, uh, you know, briefly, uh, you know, about your initiative, what you guys are doing, uh, how you guys are helping others, um, etc. Okay, well, I'll just start off with the basics of how Coed was founded in the first place. So I, I just got to say, we we started with a very, you know, simple mindset of how can we contribute as high schoolers to really maximize our potential to improve the living conditions of youth. So that was like our beginning, our initial mission, I guess. And we realized that the best way that you know me my peers could help was through spreading the concept which is so called the active education which promotes you know more interaction and engagement in learning deeper you know analytical thinking problem problem solving mindset etc so that was really what we were striving for and so it was founded by me and alice who's on the call here as well in january um, 2019 so it was not that long ago so we started off by teaching at a very small, uh, at, at a um, community center uh, in Paris called Foyer de Grenelle. And it's a community center where students come for help with homework who have, you know, working parents or who can't afford extra help um, outside of school. Also for adults who are illiterate, um, they also have programs for the homeless, etc. So it just provides a wide range of educational programs um, and which we are honored to be a part of. So I'm just going to really jump in and just go over the programs that we offer at Foyer de Grenelle. And um, it's, it consists of English for youth, you know, English for adults, science for children, Chinese language for children, history, debate in French, which is kind of, yeah, history, geography, sorry, in French, which is kind of like a debate. Um, we also offer, I guess, yoga and a very special workshop, which is a 50s rock and roll dance classes. So that's what we offer at Foyer du Grenelle. 
Um, but we also offer, I guess, programs at our own school. So we also offer Russian language um, and culture classes. Um, but also our most, I guess, prominent section of co-ed, I would say, is something called YES. It's capital YES with an exclamation mark, which is like an acronym for Young Enthusiastic Scientists. So our main mission is to share the concept of low-cost experiments in which our motto is that anywhere the students go can be their own laboratory so that science isn't something you know that needs high-tech um, materials and expensive resources but something that you can you know create wherever you are with locally obtainable materials um, so yeah that's that's our main I guess mission and our practices that's great so um, you know specifically it seems that you know your programs are it tends to be, I guess, a bit more original, but um, also about kind of like, uh, you know, it seems like you know, finding passion in what people mm. find in the world and kind of exactly. try, you know, uh, make them learn more about stuff, the stuff that they love. So do you think that kind of, you know, this approach to education is different than the approach we have right now? And, um, you know, if it is, um, you know, do, do you, um, is, is like one of your goals kind of, you know, creating a new approach to education, I guess? Um, yeah, I think you pretty pretty much summed it up. That's exactly what we're thriving, striving for. And the thing is, I just think that although we may have access to a more engaging um, educational approach to many of the subjects that really sparks our passion, but we've seen that in a lot of the local um, local schools, even in Paris, which is one of the most developed areas right in the world, we see that people learn in a very linear way. So it's you know through memorization and students tend to not really realize what this knowledge is for and they don't understand how this can be applied in reality. So just to take um, something we did in Ghana for an example, is that if we want to send the message that anything around you can be a resource for your education. So for example, in Ghana, let's say that you don't have the resources to buy a microscope, but you are interested and you want to pursue science and this is what you want to explore. What we found is that, for example, using a cardboard, a little lens, which is very inexpensive, and a camera, you can create your own low-cost, um, low-powered microscope. And another example is something called the beer bottle thermometer. Let's say you don't have the resources to buy a liquid thermometer. What you can do is you grab a beer bottle, an empty beer bottle, a balloon, a cork, a straw, and water, and that's it, boom. You've created your own gas um, thermometer with these very inexpensive materials. So yeah, the, I guess this isn't the type of approach that we see in normal school systems, even in the most rich or the most developed areas. So yeah, we really wanted to, you know, send the message that education doesn't have to be linear, but that it could be engaging, creative, innovative, you know, everything, you name it. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the microscope example is kind of uh, interesting because I remember, mm -hmm. like, I think it's like the one dollar microscope and it's like cardboard mm -hmm. and you have the and I, I remember uh, reading about that three or four years ago and it, it, it's yeah oh, it, cool yeah so it's kind of cool having those um i guess tools at your disposal but so um why you know why did you choose for example the specific locate uh, countries of uh you know france you know ghana for example to um to to kind of uh start your educational programs okay so the thing about Ghana is very interesting in the fact that um, I just have to give a big shout out to someone called Mr. Michael Gregory. He's kind of like our advisor, I guess, um, for co-ed and he is the one who founded YES. 
And the reason why we started off with Ghana is that he went to a teacher, like a science teacher workshop at the CERN laboratory. And there he met someone called Christopher Akpalu, our dearest friend, who we work with for the Ghana projects. So he's a, he's a physics professor at the College of Education in Ghana. So that's how we landed our Ghana project where we went through different, like eight different schools um, teaching students from kindergarten all the, all the way to college and other science teachers. And the reason why, although we're high school students and it seems a bit, you know, of a big reach, we still aim to create workshops with college students who are in training to become teachers because we truly found that this is the way to make a long-term impact rather than just teaching one generation. When we teach a teacher, they can teach so many more classrooms throughout the country and yeah, so that's how our Ghana um, project was founded and created. And in general, I think, oh, sorry. Uh, just to, yeah, I think in general, what happens for us is we kind of jump from opportunity to opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times it wasn't really a conscious choice. It was just something presented itself where we could do something. And so we did because it just presented itself, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so, how, you know, how has, you know, how do you think this crisis really has affected uh, I guess the uh, pedagogical pedagogical approach, you know, it's uh, of course the educational approach of you know teaching lower income students, like in in general. Too. So yeah, for us actually, it's had a lot of impact because um, our association is ma mainly based on uh, teaching physically in education centers. So as you can imagine, you know, we've been really affected, um, and in some ways it's been positive, some ways negative. To begin with the negative, um, we've had to cancel or postpone a lot of our activities. Uh, we didn't, we weren't able to maintain our classes at our education centers simply because the centers were closed and the students were often busy with class. Um, and then we've also had to postpone our Serbia trip where we were planning to teach students with disabilities in local schools. And um, our Ghana trip for this summer was postponed to February because uh, of the conditions. So, you know, we've had to deal with a lot of those challenges. And we have, however, been able to adapt to the situation through two main initiatives. The first one is uh, we've done science, uh, sorry, sports classes online. Uh, so we've done yoga classes three times a week online and our beloved rock and roll classes once a week online. Um, and so what we, our aim was that, with that is that um, even if we can't help our students in the way we usually do academically, we still hope to make their lives in confinement a little bit better. And our second initiative was the, is the Fue de Grenelle summer camp, uh, which hasn't happened yet, but is officially confirmed. Um, basically, we found ourselves with a lot of time on our hands because of the trips being postponed. And so we started thinking, uh, how can we use this time most efficiently to help others? And uh, as you might know, a lot of students right now from uh, lower income families can't really follow online classes as well because they either have poor Wi-Fi, not enough devices for the entire family. Um, so a lot of them, you know, are really put at a disadvantage compared to students who have all the resources they need. Um, and so we asked the education director at Fuego Gonet if he would be interested in a summer camp. He said yes. Uh, and so we're doing a, a formula where we're gonna have a class help in the morning. Uh, so basically doing revisions on all the chapters students might have missed and in the afternoon a fun component with, you know, debate, 
theater, science experimentation, a bit of sports to spice it up, etc. Um, and so we really hope that we can help students uh, right now who are really disadvantaged because of uh, their family's income to kind of weigh that out. Um, and I think just in general to finish on this question, uh, there's also been really interesting ways that it's affected us as an association. Uh, because I guess there's a silver lining to this whole situation because after being thrown like so many challenges have been thrown at us we've learned from that and I think the main way that we have learned from that is we now know that we can reach a wider audience than we thought possible um, so we know that through online classes we can actually do that and you know have people from all over different continents etc and we also know that there is a demand and there is a need for local summer programs or vacation programs that we can do in the future yeah awesome th th what, what a great answer uh thank you guys so much for for coming on it's a pleasure hearing about your uh, uh your initiative uh co-education thank, thank you for having us very happy to be here yeah thank you to all of the great student-led organizations and groups that were with us today Thank you also to Tom Clare, who, along with myself, was one of the presenters that interviewed the podcast today. This, ep this podcast is produced by myself, Tom Clare, Mark Wahab, Graham Foote, uh, along with Julian Zaytun as our editor. I'm Miles Bratier. Be safe. <laughs>